0: Hi, I'm Miranda Wright with HOWC Ministries. To learn more about our ministries, please visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com. And the dragon had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. And he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads, and that no man might be able to buy or sell except that he had this mark, or the name of the beast, or the number of his name. Here is wisdom let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast for it is the number of a man and his number is 603 score and 6 revelation's chapter 13 verse 15 through 18 the beast that this passage speaks of is antichrist but more than that it's his power manifested through a military and an economic system we know this because the mark of it is required to buy, sell, or trade. That is economic. And the people that refuse to partake of it are killed. They are put to death. That is military. That is a system with power to control by both force and fear. Now, through the ages, there have been a lot of interpretations of what the scripture says here. And the truth about biblical prophecy is that much of it will never fully be understood until the moment that you're standing in the midst of it. We understand this even through the life of Jesus, that though his life was prophesied through the Old Testament, many had painted a picture of what they expected. But yet when the moment came that it actually manifested, many missed it because they thought they had it figured out when in actuality they didn't. So here is wisdom. We pray for the leading and discernment of God's Holy Spirit. Yet we can look at the overall archetype of the picture that is being painted for an understanding of what Jesus was saying to John the Revelator in these passages. For example, when we look at this mark, this thing that was placed in the hand or in the forehead of everyone who pledged allegiance to this beast and its system, someone who is learned in the scriptures might be reminded of the Shema, The Shema, Jesus said, was the greatest of all commandments and that if you live by it, you will automatically fulfill everything else that was ever spoken by both the laws of God and the prophets who were instructing men to learn how to truly love him. With everything, the Shema is the passage, of course, that says we will love the Lord thy God with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength, and we will love others as ourselves. It's a declaration of love and devotion, submission and commitment to the Lord God Almighty. It's a declaration of our faith in him as our husband. It's a wedding vow. It's a declaration that we trust him to be able to take care of us, to defend us, to protect us, to provide for us, that he truly is all we need. And if we believe it and love him with everything that we have, we will automatically obey everything that the prophets had to say, everything that the law dictated. And if we love others, even as ourselves, we will never walk selfishly into sin and materialism, self-righteousness or wickedness. We will always do what's right in the eyes of Jesus. The Shema is the greatest commandment ever given according to Jesus. It's a declaration of our love for and our obedience to God above all else. It's like a wedding vow. And many a Jew through the ages literally wrote it down and placed it upon their hand or their forehead. A visual reminder, a symbol like a wedding ring, symbolizing their love, commitment, and devotion to the Lord God Almighty and no other. Their commitment as a bride to a bridegroom to be wholly set apart for him and him only in service, in devotion, in love, in adoration, in submission, in obedience, in trust, in his faithfulness. In Exodus chapter 13, verse 15, we read And it came to pass when Pharaoh would hardly let us go that the Lord slew all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of beasts. Therefore I sacrifice to the Lord all that openeth the matrix, being males, but all the firstborn of my children I redeem, and it shall be for a token upon thine hand and for frontlets between thine eyes. For by strength of hand, the Lord brought us out of the land of Egypt. It's a declaration that we have left the house of bondage, that we have departed from Egypt and all that it offered us in allegiance For our God, our King, our husbandmen to follow him out into the wilderness and trust him to bring us to a land of promise, to something better, to defend us, to protect us, to provide for us, to send manna from heaven, if need be. To trust him and love him as a bride does to her husband with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. So in this do I see the mark of the beast, as a type of anti-shema. An antichrist wedding ring, if you will. A symbol that you love or committed and devoted to another lover, to things, to an economic system for the sake of security and ease, to selfishness for what you can get out of it. To bondage for the sake of the things of Egypt. Because you see in the Book of Revelations it gives us a further image that this beast doesn't come alone, it comes with a whore, it says writing upon it, the whore of Babylon. So also do I see that as the bridegroom, as the lamb, as Christ has his bride, so does this Antichrist, this beast, have his. But it's not a true bride. It's an adulteress. One not willing to commit or to depend on God for what she needs like a bride does to her husband. My friend, if you take the mark of this beast, you align yourself with her and you take the Antichrist's wedding ring for security and for gifts and for things, material gifts and a sense of control instead of spiritual gifts and a place at God's throne. We will be part of one or the other. We will be part of the bride of Christ, or we will be part of the whore of Babylon. This is an archetype that will play out to the greatest degree in the final hours of this dispensation, but it is something that has played out over and over to some degree throughout the ages. And more often than not, sadly enough, this whore of Babylon comes out of God's own church. It's a bride full of pride that is seduced into taking matters into her own hand and not trusting in the faithfulness of her husband. Yet was Christ willing to pay the price of his very life to redeem us from it? We see the image of this played out in the book of Hosea, where God called the prophet to take a bride of whoredoms. And he married her and he loved her and he cleaned her up and he gave her everything she needed and she brought forth children for him. And of course, we're told through the story that she is a type of Israel, which is a type of the church. He took her away into the wilderness where he provided for her, where he loved her, where he protected her. But eventually, the lust in her heart for the things of the past, the things of Egypt came upon her and she returned to her house of bondage and the other lover. And in Hosea chapter 2, we see This imagery, as Hosea, as a type of Christ, pleads with this bride that has forsaken him for things, ease, vain glory, and economic securities. He spoke to the children that they had together and said, plead with your mother, plead with her, for she is not my wife, because she had made herself the lover of another. Of course, Hosea loved her, and he gave everything that he had to redeem her. This was not a threat of cruelty. This was a plea that the consequences of her actions and her trusting and running after this beast would cause her to lose everything. Because that if she was not his wife, that if she separated herself from him in her whoredoms she would no longer be within the realm of his protection or provision. And I feel that Christ is pleading the same plea right now with the bride. It continues in verse 5, For she hath played the harlot. For she said, I will go after my lovers that give me my bread and my water, my wool and my flax, mine oil and mine drink. The interesting thing about this is that if you read a little further down, read the whole chapter, it paints a picture of what I see happening in the end between the church of Jesus Christ and of the Antichrist, this wife of whoredoms That had caused herself to be divorced from her husband to depend on these other lovers for security, for food, for finance, for materialism. He pleads with her and reminds her of how he provided for her in the wilderness. In verse 8 he says, For she did not know that I gave her corn and wine and oil and multiplied her silver and gold, which they then took and gave to Belle. She forgot how good her husband had been to her. And so the story continues that she follows after these other lovers for what she can get in her selfishness until they have stripped and abused and robbed her of everything. She did not get security or freedom. Oh, she may have gotten the pleasures of Egypt for a season, but the end of it was death because the enemy took it all back in the end and left her with nothing, stripped, destitute, beaten, poor, broken, ugly, naked, no one wanting her, no one to defend or fight for her. At which point Hosea sells all that he has, takes everything, and goes to purchase her back. He becomes her redeemer. He bankrupts himself to save her. This is a beautiful image of Christ and the bride. Because through the ages, the bride has done this many, many times. Yet in the end, does it come to a point that it becomes so blatant that when this antichrist system steps in and the mark is given, there is no more space for repentance because God has clearly warned us of it, but I want you to see the parallel between the whore of Babylon riding this beast as a type of not only Antichrist but anti-bride, so that people understand what the scripture says, that once you partake of it, once you receive it, there is no coming back from it. According to the scripture, those who receive the mark cannot be saved anymore. He won't take them back. They've committed themselves. They've trampled his blood underfoot and counted it unworthy and married the world and bear the mark of it. And the parallel I'm making between the harlot in the time of Hosea and the harlot that rides upon the beast, it says that she lived deliciously, that she arrayed herself in scarlet, that she was drunken upon the blood of the martyrs. She cared only about her own pleasure, about her material gains, her things, her easy life, her gold and her silver. She didn't care who she hurt in the process. She didn't care how much it grieved the father's heart. As long as she got something for it, the Antichrist spirit works through materialism. It offers gifts. It offers pleasure. It offers ease. It offers economic securities. It offers a counterfeit of the dependency that we ought to have on Christ, our spiritual husband. And it steps up and takes the place of it. And in the end, it will require a mark of allegiance. A Shema on the hand or the forehead. Or possibly even in it. A sign of commitment. A marriage to the beast, the antichrist system. This story of Hosea, it's very heartbreaking and God did it to show us what he endures for us as he watches his bride be seduced before him for silly things like materialism and gifts and wine and oil and gold and silver when he is able to give so much more than this. He is able to provide for us and bring us peace in the wilderness. He is able to be a better husband. Yet we do not trust in him. We don't put our faith in him. We don't give him our commitment, our Shema. When he speaks, we don't listen. We chase after the lies, the promises, the gifts, and the perceived securities of the Antichrist system and become a harlot riding this beast part of Mystery Babylon, which the scripture says in the end, that she will be drunken on the blood of the martyrs of Jesus Christ, the true saints. And Jesus warned us himself that there will come a time where men will kill you and they will think that they are doing my work. My friend, I'm here to warn you that this harlot comes out of the church. She is a seduced bride who has become unfaithful, untrusting, undependent, uncommitted to her true husband. Remember how often Jesus spoke of himself as the bridegroom and the church as the bride. There's a reason for this and the theme of it goes throughout scripture. Because that when God saved the Israelites out of Egypt, he gave them four promises. These four promises are remembered every year at the Passover as they drink the four cups, each cup reminding them of the promises and the fourth promises God said I will take you and this is a promise of God's protection that when he took them out of Egypt he took them to be a bride unto him that he would be their husband and their defender their provider their protector in the wilderness but they refused to be faithful to him in fact when God manifested himself to them on the mountain of God and they heard his voice with trumpets and thunders and lightnings, they were afraid and they said, no, no, don't speak to us directly. Give us a man to speak to us. And so God obliged in this through Jesus. He gave us a man to deliver his words and to be our husband. You see, remember that Jesus was the Passover lamb and it was at Passover that the crucifixion began. The Last Supper was a Passover Seder when Jesus sat with his disciples and it was this fourth cup, this final cup that they drank that he said, this is the cup, the blood of my covenant. In other words, the covenant of the New Testament is a marriage covenant. This is why Paul said, I give you a mystery when he talked about the husband and the wife and how the husband must be willing to lay down his life for his bride. He said, I'm talking about the church and Christ. But in the Passover tradition, there was a fifth cup, something that came after, which for many generations has been left out of the Seder and has been replaced with children going to the door to see if Elijah was coming because that they knew that the scripture said that Elijah would come before the great and terrible day of the Lord. And so that when he comes, they would ask him what was to be of this fifth cup. But Jesus, after the Passover meal, knelt in the garden of gethsemane because you see while the first four cups were cups of promise and blessing and protection this fifth cup was a cup of wrath poured out upon the disobedient and unbelieving it is a promise that there's a judgment coming for sinfulness a wrath upon the children of disobedience And as Jesus knelt in the Garden of Gethsemane that night, and he prayed and he cried and he sweat great drops of blood, he said those faithful words that we so often hear but are rarely understood when he cried out and said, Oh, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. He was willing to drink it for me. And here's the beauty of what our Christ truly did that day. You see, because he drank completely the cup, Of wrath in place of his bride because you see the Bible says that the husband is the head of the wife he is the covering therefore our guilt was imparted unto him and he steps up and takes the place for us he covers us even in our sin and wickedness he dies for us he pays the price for us because he's a good husband because let me tell you something my friend in the end that wrath is still coming. The Bible says that there's a time of great tribulation as never was seen since the beginning of the world, not until that time. But after that tribulation that comes upon the church and upon the world, there is a time of wrath where the Christians are protected and the wrath of God falls upon the wicked. You see, for us who are hidden in Christ, we don't take part in that wrath because our husband already took it on our behalf. Jesus took that wrath. Therefore, if we are hidden in him and he resides in us, then we are exempt from it. He already drank the cup. But for all of the rest of the world, the sinful, the unbelieving, the prideful, the rebellious, the violent, the selfish, that wrath is still coming and they will drink their cup of it. Because if they trust in the wrong husband, they have no covering. The scripture says specifically that the Antichrist and his followers will pay the ultimate price during this time of great wrath. In Revelation chapter 14, verse 17, speaking of the Antichrist, the beast, and his bride, this whore of Babylon, who enticed the world to sin along with her, therefore to take in this cup of judgment It says that the angel came forth saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory for the hour of his judgment is come and worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the foundations of the waters. And there followed another angel saying Babylon is fallen, is fallen that great city because she made all the nations to drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. You see, this fifth cup, this cup of wrath was prophesied by Jeremiah to be the wine cup of the wrath of the Lord. In fact, there are three main harvests in the land of Israel. There is a barley harvest that represents Jesus it's the first harvest that comes in the Passover bread would have been made from barley the loaves and the fishes the manna all that represented Jesus who is the bread of life was made of barley it's the first harvest that is gathered in to the master's barn and then the second harvest comes that's the wheat harvest this is why Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is likened to a man who sowed wheat in his field and the enemy came and sowed tares within it and he said let them grow up together because in the end when the harvest comes I'll separate the wheat from the tares that is the return of Christ the second harvest when the Saints are gathered into the kingdom but the third harvest in Israel is the grape harvest and the Bible says that in the end sinners will be gathered into the great winepress of his wrath so it is no coincidence that this harlot bride this Babylon this sinful adulterous religious system It's military, it's economics, it's pleasures and lust and materialism. It says that it causes all the nations of the world to drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. She seduces them to partake of that which makes them guilty of sin and wrath and judgment in the end. And she prevents them from being in marriage covenant with Jesus, with the only one who can save them from it. It says, and the third angel followed them saying with a loud voice, if any man worship the beast and his image and receive his mark, his Shema, his wedding ring, the symbol of your obedience and allegiance to this thing, if they will take his mark in their forehead or in their hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of god which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation my friend there is no escaping of this once you have taken this mark of the beast this antichrist wedding ring it says and he those who do this shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of his holy angels and in the presence of the lamb those who rejected him for this other husband And the smoke of their torment ascended up forever and ever. And they have no rest day or night who worshiped the beast and his image. And whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Understanding this, my friend, will help you to have patience and endurance unto the end. Because the word says that only those who endure till the end shall be saved you've got to be faithful to your marriage covenant oh jesus through trial and tribulation through blessing or desolation for better or for worse in sickness or in health till death do us part we pledge to you our faithfulness our whole heart and we thank you god that you were to pay the ultimate price to stand in the place of an unworthy bride let us be found waiting ready believing and still honoring our wedding ring. you see the bible talks about new jerusalem from which christ will rule the earth after his resurrection that it is to come down from heaven like a bride adorned for her husband, and it will be inhabited by the righteous saints of God, those who were faithful to him. Remember, Jesus prophesied that I will go and prepare a place for us, and that bridegroom is coming back to receive his bride unto it, but also in like manner is the whore of Babylon described as a great city from which the Antichrist will try to rule the world. This is why Jesus tells us in the book of Revelations, Come out of her, my people, lest you be partakers of her sins and also of her plagues and the punishments for those sins. Because, my friend, you cannot inhabit both cities. You cannot serve both masters. There is no dual citizenship. You either cling to Babylon or to New Jerusalem, the Antichrist or the Bridegroom, because you cannot partake of both of them. It's time to come out of the valley of decision. And make your commitment to Jesus. The prophet Joel gave us this warning in Joel chapter 3 verse 14. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. Because you see, my friend, when Jesus returns there will be a battle in a place near old Jerusalem called the Valley of Decision. It's the Valley of Jehoshaphat. It lies in between the Mount of Olives where the true Jesus gave many of his teachings and Golgotha, the place where the Antichrist spirit through Caiaphas nailed him to a tree and tried to crucify him because he didn't want to give up his perceived power and authority. Right in the middle of these two places is this valley. But the thing that we've got to remember is that when Jesus comes back, The battle belongs to the Lord. And it's not just those who stand on the side of Golgotha that will be judged, but those who remain in the valley of decision, who refuse to make that commitment to Jesus. My friend, go find your personal Mount of Olives. Learn his teachings. Come into agreement with it. Submit. Commit. And you will be under his covering, under the shadow of the Almighty in the end you will be found with him when he rides in and not on the antichrist's side standing against him or those found just as guilty through indifference still undecided in the valley of decision so lord search our hearts today that we not be guilty of this that we not trust more in the securities of an economic system through the promises of a lying antichrist beast who will in the end turn his vengeance against those who follow the real Jesus. Lord, give us discernment to see this in every area that the enemy is setting the stage for it. Help us to not encourage it, endorse it. And when the time comes that it shows itself for what it is, give us the strength, the courage, and the faith to depart from it. Lord, we pray for a supernatural impartation of faith to stand against it and love humility and brokenness for those who are deceived by it. But let us in the end be counted as a faithful bride of Christ who will love you, God, with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love others, as you have said, Jesus, even more than ourselves. O Lord, deliver our nation and our churches from the influence of this antichrist spirit and when that time comes lord we pray that the church have the love the commitment and the faith to rise up walk out of it and follow you into the wilderness because that old egypt and all that it has to offer all of its things all of its securities all of its fancy foods All of its slaveries is still nothing more than a glitzy house of bondage. And I would rather be a bride in the wilderness with my God and my king who truly loves me than to be a slave in Egypt for a little bit of false security. Because in the end, it always turns against those who trusted in it. As the prophets of old have warned us, why do you trust in Egypt? which is a broken reed, that if you lean upon it, it will pierce your hand. Don't trust in it. It will only hurt you in the end. But our God, he is mighty to save. He is able. He is faithful. He always makes a way. Rivers in the desert and paths in the wilderness, we thank you, God, for your faithfulness. Let us be found a faithful bride to Christ in the midst of our trials and tribulations and let the generations to come declare that we will Shema, we will listen, we will obey, we will trust and we will follow you because we believe in your love for us. A true husband, a bridegroom, a glorious savior and redeemer, a king, a faithful friend that sticks closer than a brother, and in the end, our judge and righteous defender. We give all praise, glory, and honor to the bridegroom, the lamb that was slain from the foundations of the world to take away our sin and give us a way of escape from the judgment that is coming upon all of the wicked and the unbelieving those who trust it more in their own logic and in the gifts and tools and promises of Egypt God our faith is in you alone and not in this antichrist system which cannot save nor deliver nor set free but only bring men into greater bondage and misery Because today we are reminded in what you had to say Jesus to us in Matthew chapter 6 verse 24. You said no man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other or else he will hold to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon which is money and materialism or dependency on the economic systems of Egypt. Or as it's called in the book of Revelation, mystery Babylon, mystery because it is hidden, Babylon because it is an economic and governmental system. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, for what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body, for what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than food and the body more than clothing? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit to his stature? And why take ye thought for your clothing even? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon, in all of his glory, was not arrayed like one of these." Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all of these things, But rather, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things shall be added unto you. Lord, we receive that wedding ring from you today that Shema that be written upon our heart, Lord, on our hand and on our forehead, that spiritual mark, Lord, that commitment, that declaration that we believe in our heart and now profess with our mouth that we love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we will love others even as ourselves. No, even more than that, Lord, as you have loved them, the new commandment that you have given. Lord, we trust you to equip us for the commission and the Mission and the season in which you have positioned us, Lord. We believe that you are our provider, our protector, that you place all that we need before us, God, that you are able to defend us, Lord, that you have a place prepared for us, and that you are coming back again as our husband to take us to New Jerusalem. God, we give you praise and glory in who you are. We will tell your story to everyone that comes before us because as a true bride, who truly is adorned for her husband and adoring of him, we can't stop speaking about it. We won't be ashamed of you, Lord, and we surely won't replace you for another lover. There's not enough room in our heart when we've given all of it to Jesus. This message was brought to you by HOWC Ministries. To learn more about our ministries, please visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com